0: Our scripture reading then for this morning comes first to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the first 16 verses, and then our text again comes from 1 Peter chapter 3. So first turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Corinthians chapter 7, and beginning at verse 1. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife. Do not deprive one another, except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and the other in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now to the married I command you... A command, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, If any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, If he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? It is far a reading in 1 Corinthians, and you can see the similar line of thought here that Paul has with Peter uh, for the welfare of the soul of their spouse. But then our text comes to us from 1 Peter in chapter 3. and I will read only to verse 7. Last week or last few weeks, we have been considering the first six verses where Peter is speaking to the wives. Now in verse 7, he begins to speak to the husbands specifically. Verse 7 says, Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. And for our focus this morning, it'll be just the first sentence, the first part of this text, Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding. That'll be our focus for this morning. And so today we continue to look at how Peter is instructing husbands and wives, and particularly in his context. But if verse 1 says, wives be submissive to your own husbands, if God expects the wife to submit to her husband in this way, under those circumstances, what does God expect from the husbands? The husbands who specifically are believers? And what is the wife to expect from Her husband, if she obeys God and submits herself to her husband, what can or must she expect? Now, when you buckle yourself up in an airplane, you're expecting a lot from that pilot who's about to take you 35,000 feet into the air. You expect that he knows a little about aviation and about what it is to fly a plane, what it what it means to fly into air currents or turbulence or to, a headwind or what lift means and what all those buttons and levers are in the front of the plane. And you expect that he has a little knowledge about the geography and the direction he is to travel, and that he also has a concern for who is on the plane. And that he has a desire to bring them. To their destination and safety. But we also realize that he is also on the plane, so what's good for the passenger is also good for the pilot. It's in his best interest to do what is right. And so the pilot does take great care and great diligence to make sure that he gets his passenger safely on the ground again. And even though every illustration has its limitations and that not everything here correlates, but the husband is like a pilot, a pilot of the plane called marriage. And even though a wife is not simply a passenger in the back who buckles up and enjoys the ride, but she's more like a co-pilot in the flight, your husband is a pilot for your journey through this life. And it's not only for your Physical well being or for your comfort, but there's also the elements of your spiritual well being, your, your mental and emotional well being that are involved. And there will always be smooth flights and there will be turbulent flights. There will be times of difficulties and times of blessing. But it's interesting when you think of how most people enter marriage with virtually no training how many years does a pilot need to study and yet husbands and wives can marry with so little knowledge? And We might step into a plane without thinking much about the qualifications of that pilot and yet we trust that he has what is necessary. But when we step into marriage, how much thought have we given about the qualifications of the husband? And so how must we then as husbands lead our wives, or lead others around us in a godly way. And so God's Word is our only guide, our only navigation system, you could say. And so our theme for this morning is the understanding husband, taken from that first line in the text, verse 7, Husbands dwell with them with understanding. The understanding husband. And really this text has three main uh, points or focuses, and and they correlate in a way to the threefold office of Christ and the threefold office of every Christian, that of prophet, priest, and king, as we'll see in, in the coming weeks. But this morning we'll consider only the first one, that of prophet. But so as a husband, we must be an understanding husband. And the first thing Our first thought, then, is we must have an understanding of the unity of the marriage. An understanding of the unity of marriage. Because Peter says here, husbands dwell with them. The pilot requires understanding and knowledge to fly this plane. And for you as wives, you entrust yourselves to your husbands when you submit to them. And you assume that he at least has some knowledge or understanding of what it is to lead you in your marriage and your family. And so to dwell with them means you are living together with them. And so you must understand that unity that is required with each other. In Genesis 2 verse 24, God created man and woman and he said, "'Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife or be joined or, or cling to his wife and it shall become one flesh, become one unit. You're traveling, you're going on one journey together on the same plane. You can't live separate lives under the same roof, but you must become one flesh in marriage. There is a unity and purpose and direction. A plane cannot go two directions at once, and neither can a marriage. And yet there is that diversity of responsibility within that unity of marriage. As we discover, this, discuss now the, the different responsibilities of husband and wife, so there's a diversity of responsibility within that unity. It's like the pilot and the co-pilot. The stewardess is the The passengers all have their own responsibilities on that one plane, but they must work together. They're all going in the same direction, and there must be unity in that effort. And the same is in marriage. Both husband and wife have unique roles and responsibilities in that union. And that unity is emphasized not only by becoming one on the marriage day, but by how God calls us to live and to function in that union, to dwell with each other. and So everything that we do in our marriage, whether it's our thoughts, our words, our deeds, whether it's the things that we say or do not say or do or do not do, everything works together, either to promote that unity or to break up that unity. So everything that we do has some effect on that unity, for better or for worse. And husbands are specifically called to love their wife. To love your wife as Christ loved His church and as we love our own bodies. Ephesians 5 verse 25, we'll refer to this verse a few times, you may want to have it open. Ephesians 5 verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, and that he might present to her himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself." And so we see that it requires a high regard, a high respect for your spouse. And it shows the priority is not placed just on yourself, but on the unity of the marriage, on your spouse to promote that. We're not only focused on what we need or what we want, but to what is best for her, for the bride. Christ gave himself for her. So dwell with her with understanding. And so understanding that unity also means we need to have an understanding of what are the hindrances to that unity, what comes against that in this world. There's such a lack of knowledge in this world of what marriage is as it is created by God and what its purpose is in this world. There's a lack of knowledge even now of who men and women are, as who they are to be as husband and wife. There's often also, by nature, a lack of willingness to take up the responsibility that God has given men to be the leaders in the home, in the family. There's also the lack of the submission of the wife to the husband, as we discussed in the past sermons. There is that sinful inclination of the heart to resist authority, we see that in the feminist movement. We see that in the transgender ideology that's seeking to usurp that authority. And it's not, and our churches are not exempt from these things because these sins come out of our own hearts. And these are things that we need to see in our own heart in life. We can realize how we as men can often be timid, And then there's women who are boisterous and contentious, and then the roles are reversed. And there's no proper unity because there's no proper uh, submitting to the, uh, the, the roles that God has given each of us to do. And so then, as a result, sometimes you see that the women think they're better off by doing it themselves, that they want it their way, whether in the marriage or out of a marriage, and they would rather trust their own ability rather to entrust themselves to someone who they deem as incompetent or who is reluctant to take hold of that steering wheel because they'd rather be sitting in first class himself. Men need to take the work, the, the, the responsibility upon themselves to be faithful leaders. You can see that in many countries. I know in Haiti it, it's... It's typical that men would grow their fingernails long, especially on their pinky, and they'd play dominoes at night. That shows the extent of what they do. They're not very diligent workers. They're not there to provide for their families, but they're out carousing at night while the women often do the work in the garden and care for the children and the homes. And this happens in other countries where Christianity has not influenced the family and the marriage. So what do we do? How do we learn to dwell with our wife with understanding? That's her second thought. There must be an understanding of Scripture. We must have an understanding of Scripture. If we do not understand Scripture, we will not properly understand anything else regarding marriage, husband, or wife. Scripture is God's manual for marriage and life, and we must understand what marriage is, what its purpose and what its direction or destination is, and how to safely pilot that plane further. And so men especially, you must be diligent, including me, in studying Scripture to know how to navigate, how to guide and how to instruct your family and to be able to apply the Bible to the needs of your wife and your children. You are to be the prophet, in the home. Again, I refer to that, the threefold office of Christ of prophet, priest, and king. You can refer to Lord's Day 12 in the Catechism if you want to read up on it. Christ was anointed by his Spirit to be the prophet, the priest, and the king. And every Christian shares in that anointing of Christ. And so that applies in a special way to the husband and to the father in the home. You have the duty, I have the duty to be the prophet, the teacher in the home, and the duty is to teach the Word of God. And so husbands are commanded to diligently instruct your wife and children. We can see that in Deuteronomy 6 verse 7. It teach them diligently from morning till evening in every path that you take, when you sit down, when you stand up, when you lie down, when you get up. And 1 Corinthians 14 speaks how husbands are to teach the wives if the wives don't understand something in the service. And so we must dwell with your wife with the understanding of Scripture. Jesus understood and used Scripture to answer questions and to correct wrong views. In Matthew 19, the Pharisees came up and asked him these questions. They're always trying to trip him up, and he said, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And Jesus answered by quoting Scripture, and he said, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they're no longer two, but one flesh. And therefore what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Let not man separate. And so Scripture teaches us that marriage is not just about ourselves. Again, I refer to Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. He refers to the word there. And he goes on to say that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Last time Peter said, wives, don't focus merely on the outward adorning. But here he's, Christ is talking about without spot, without blemish. So often we're worried about our outward blemishes, but God is worried about our inward blemishes, of sin that needs to be washed away. And First Peter is specifically about the holiness of the Christian. Holiness produced by the Word of God and by the Spirit working in us. Christ loves His church. Christ gave Himself, His life for His church. Why? To sanctify her from sin and cleanse her from sin. And marriage is the picture of Christ and His bride, Christ and His church. And the husband is called to love His wife as Christ loves His church. We are called to teach are wise god's word as Christ taught we are called to lead her in the word as Christ led his disciples for her sanctification for her holiness for leading her to god so husbands are we dwelling or how are we dwelling with our wife are we dwelling with her wife with the understanding of scripture Or do we learn everything from the world? Do we dwell with them, understanding of the purpose that she and we are to be sanctified through the Word, do we dwell with her with the, with the desire that one day she, your wife, your bride, may stand before God pure, without spot, without wrinkle, holy, without blemish, with the adorning of the heart that is well-pleasing in the sight of God? Is that our desire for our wife? Is that what we labor for in her family? Are we giving ourselves for her spiritual well-being Women must not merely adorn the outward appearance we saw last time, and that means husbands. We are not merely worried about their outward needs, such as houses, cars, clothes, or whatever, but are we providing with what is necessary for her to adorn her heart in the sight of the Lord? Are we dwelling with her with understanding of Scripture? And then thirdly, to be able to do that, there must be an understanding of yourself. There must we must understand ourself. Why? We must learn to know ourselves, that our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, that we're born and conceived in sin, that we've fallen in Adam that we are like sheep have gone astray, and everyone has gone his own way, that our natural tendency is to do our own thing for our own desire, and not just knowing in our mind, but an understanding, a spiritual acquaintance with our own heart of why we do the things that we do. We're trying to fly the plane of our own life in our own direction. And if we go astray in our own life, how then can we ever lead our wife in the right way? Jesus called the Pharisees, he said, blind leaders of the blind, they did not understand the corruption of their own hearts. They made the outside clean, but the inside was full of corruption. And Peter has counseled us to put away those sinful passions and corruptions and lusts of the hearts. So, we need to learn to understand ourselves. We are the leader of our wife and family, and we are leading them somewhere. The question is where? And we need to understand ourselves to know where it is we are leading our wife and our family. We need to understand that in everything we do, we are the example for our wife. A shepherd leads his sheep. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Husbands, we are the shepherds of the family, and your wife and family follow you. Look how the children look up to their dad. Look how the wife loves her husband. They follow you. Where you go, they will go. Where you do not go, they will not go. You are their example for good or for evil. And often the things in life are better learned by example than by what we say. Because people absorb things. People copy things. People respond how you talk and act rather than what we tell them or how we tell them to do it. Children mimic the manners of their, of their parents, their gestures, their words, their actions. You can often see husbands and wives that have lived together for such a long time. They, they grow together. They start to know how each other acts and how they, how they live, and they begin to act similar. Much of what I learned, especially in my work life, is by observing my leaders. And that means we need to understand our own heart, our own sin our own shortcomings, in the light of God's Word. 1 Peter 2, verse 21, if you turn there, it says, Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in His steps. Christ is the example that we as husbands must also follow that those who follow us will be walking in the footsteps of Christ. Who committed no sin, verse 22, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Husbands, is that the example we are setting for our wife and our children? Look at your children. How do they talk about other people? How do they react when someone cuts you off in traffic? How do they speak about the person they see on the street? Because likely they've learned it from you. That also applies to everyone, married or single, but especially to husbands. We've been given the responsibility of leading our family. And this includes especially our attitude toward our wife, as Peter's addressing here. It includes your attitude toward the people around us. It includes our attitude toward God and His church. And if our leadership and example demonstrates that we are not really interested, then your children won't be either. Some people think that customs and habits are not very important, kind of old-fashioned but we all have our own customs and habits because thoughts become actions and actions become habits and habits become your character, is an old quote. And so what does your character demonstrate to your wife and your children? What does your conduct reveal to the Gentiles? Chapter 2, verse 12. What does our custom and our habit reveal about our love for God and His Word? If we do not lead our family in devotion time, in prayer time, why would your children follow? Or why would your children go in that direction unless God works more powerfully in your children than He has or does in you? If the public worship of God with His people is not the number one priority in our life as husbands, how can you expect that it will be for your children? If you do not set these habits, customs, if you do not take leadership and set the example to take an interest in what they are learning in catechism, in Sunday school, etc., why would your children? Their interest is often created by their parents' level of interest? And I ask you, because soon we'll be starting another season of catechism and Sunday school classes, how will you lead your children this year? Will you lead them by your example to Christ? You set the bar in your family that your children will follow Will you lead them as Christ leads you? Husbands, understand yourself. Reverend Murray McShane said, The greatest need of my people is my personal holiness. He was the pastor referring to his flock. And Octavius Octavius Winslow said, The holiness of the church rarely surpasses that of the pastor, it's a high calling for a pastor. But the same is true for the family church, your church in your home. The greatest need for your wife and children is your personal holiness. This is what Peter is driving at in this whole book, personal holiness. Be holy, God says, for I am holy. And the holiness of your family will rarely surpass that of the Father, the spiritual leader, the prophet of the home. Because the natural tendency of the heart is to wander, is to leave prone to wander, I know it. If a a believer has to say that, how, how much more is that true for an unregenerate person who has no natural desire for God? If our spouse is unregenerate, if our children are unregenerate, how much more important is it for husbands to set these customs, to set these habits, to lead their children to church where they can hear God's Word, where they can be under the preaching, under the means of grace that God uses to save sinners. And how, diligently, how diligent we must be to lead them to Christ in every conceivable way, day and night, how diligent we must be to build these good customs and habits, to instill these children with the Word of God in the home, by the way, in the school, in the church. Husbands, understand yourself. Because then we'll be able to understand those around us. If we don't understand ourselves, we'll never be able to dwell with our wife, with understanding. Jesus says, first, take the plank out of our own eye, and then we will see clearly to remove the speck from our brother's eye, our wife's eye, our children's eye. First, understand ourselves, our sin, our weakness our need for Christ, our need for the Holy Spirit to keep us from sin, to teach us, to guide us, then we'll be able to dwell with our wife with understanding. Now, this does not mean that we should now neglect our wife because we see that we fail, that we should not neglect our duty now because we see that we have no way of meeting this. No, don't give up and say that we're not competent. But flee then to Christ who, gives, who promises to give all that is necessary for personal cleansing, for personal holiness, for personal grace and strength. And then go forward with what you have learned, what you have received from Christ in faith, trusting in God that He will safely guide you onward with your family. It is a lifetime of learning. One day at a time, one mile at a time, one turbulence at a time, one challenge at a time. And understanding herself will make us more humble, will make us more dependent on Christ and on His grace. It'll make us more considerate. This is what it's about being considerate to our wife. It'll make us more considerate of our wife's weaknesses, of her frailties, of her sins, of her failures. As He goes on to say later, of the weaker vessel recognizing our own limitations, instead of being harsh, instead of being critical, instead of being a boss, a a dominating husband, you will come across with a sense of humility and meekness, with respect, with love. And then you can come together to God in His Word, learning how you can go forward in unity, in love, and in peace. And then then I think we are ready to begin to dwell together with understanding and to begin, fourthly, to understand one more thing, and that is understanding your wife. For the husband to dwell with understanding means to be considerate to our wife, to love her in a Christian manner and with godly knowledge, not only to have knowledge about marriage—there's a lot of books—not only about women we can study, but about our wife specifically, and to use that knowledge skillfully to navigate our plane through every type of weather. Every pilot needs to navigate that specific plane through that specific storm at that specific time, and it's your wife— that you must dwell together with, not your friends, not your work, not your golf, or whatever it is, but dwell with her, with understanding. And how do we dwell with her? It means we need to know her, we need to understand her. 1 Corinthians 7 we read, let the husband render to the wife the affection due to her. Likewise, the wife to her husband, what does she need? We need to know how to encourage her, how to build her up. And that means we need to get to know her. And it begins often by listening. See, and this is where that illustration totally falls apart because a, a pilot sits in a cockpit and locks the door. And he doesn't even hear the passengers. But a husband needs to understand her needs, what she is going through. You need to understand what makes her tick, what makes her thrive, what causes her to fail, and what causes her to to weigh her down. It takes time together to talk, to listen, to share, to share interests, to be open to each other. It's surprising how little we know each other when husband and wife get married. And the rest of your life is really getting to know each other, growing in that bond of unity and in the understanding of each other. And it's so refreshing to see uh, an 80-year-old couple, for example, that is walking so joyfully down the road, holding hands. They, they seem to understand each other after 60 years of marriage. What a, what a blessing that is, and how little the world understands of that beauty that God gives. And so, we need to understand the barriers to understanding our wife. Some women might close up and not want to share their deepest needs if they see there's no real reception, if there's really a a cold or a deaf ear, and if she thinks there's nothing going to change anyway, if the husband is not taking leadership, or they'll try to take it into their own hands and go their own way, and they'll try to override the husband. Men can often be self-focused. We're problem solvers. We do better at fixing leaky pipes than we are at fixing leaky marriages, but we just want to fly that, that plane. But we need to understand the wife so that we can lovingly correct one another from sin and error. Both husband and wife have the duty and the responsibility to watch, to guard each other from sin and temptation, specifically sexual temptations. Do not deprive each other, we read in 1 Corinthians 7. Do not manipulate each other. Do not use your bodies as a way to get what you want uh, to manipulate. Do not live apart from each other. Do not hide anything from each other. And you can live apart from each other in the same house. That's, that's not good. There must be that unity. Avoid traveling alone from each other. To avoid temptations or make provision to avoid temptation but be able to correct one another. And that means be a- that we must live a holy life ourselves so that we can lead each other to Christ. When God says, be holy, for I am holy, that begins with ourselves. To be able to correct and instruct each other in love also means that we need to be open and receptive to receive what our, what our closest friend and fellow in this world has to say to us. To, to be open to the instruction according to God's word when they see that we sin or we see that they sin, so that we can examine our lives in the light of Scripture. Pastor Martin, well, Martin said that once a year they sat down and it was, they had an agreement that they could tell each other anything if there was something that bothered them, if there was something that they saw wrong, something that they didn't like, they could be as open, as honest, as frank as could be to tell one another what it was that their problem was perceived to be, and they would seek to fix the, these problems in accordance to the Word of God, to become holy and to be build that unity of their marriage and to pursue that holiness because you are one flesh, and your personal holiness will affect the unity and the bond of that marriage. And so, husbands, understand yourself, understand God's Word, understand the unity of marriage, and understand your wife. Be the husband that God is calling us to be. That is impossible in our own strength, but the Lord calls and the Lord equips with His grace and His Spirit. He has set for us an example as well in Christ who was single Himself and yet walked in the way of personal holiness that calls each, that He calls each one of us to walk in. Then alone do we work towards that unity, toward that bond of peace, toward that love of marriage, giving ourselves for one another. Amen.